Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Zach Williams. I'm Cynthia Pooler. And we're going to discuss this week in New York State government. Uh, 1-13-20 to the end of the week. So, Zach, it was the first full week that the legislators were back up here. What was accomplished from the standpoint of the legislature? Well, this um, past week, you know, has uh, probably the biggest thing that got done was a package of bills that was part of a three-way deal between the Assembly, Senate, and the governor on limousine safety. You might recall in late 2018, there was that very deadly crash outside Schoharie in uh, upstate New York, left, I believe, 20 people right. dead, uh, the most deadly um, traffic accident in years. And it was an issue that kind of fell by the wayside at the end of the last legislative session, um, which itself had, was very busy. And they finally uh, reached a deal early this session and um, looks like it's well on its way to become law. Among the reforms they passed were new seatbelt requirements for people that ride in limousines, as well as other measures aimed at preventing that tragedy from happening again. But besides that, there wasn't really a lot that went on in the Capitol this week uh, on the legislative front. You know, the Senate passed some bills, the Assembly passed some bills, but, you know, other than the limo package, um, you know, not a terribly uh, large amount got done. The Senate was only in session for four minutes, actually, on Thursday. What? Wow. I'm sorry, on Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday. No kidding. What, from 3 to 304? Yeah, just, uh, you know, they, that didn't mean they passed some bills. They were just relatively uncontroversial measures. I think there was about 10 of them, and they passed on a quick voice vote, and then lawmakers uh, headed their way out of town. Wow. So um, what anything happened in the Assembly that people should know about? Well, like in the Senate, the Assembly addressed limousine safety, um, I think at this point in the legislative session, what lawmakers are really focusing on in both chambers is getting in, is getting all of these chapter amendments to pass. Chapter amendments, of course, are um, kind of deals that the governor makes with lawmakers. Basically, I'll sign your bill into law if you agree to make these little tweaks later on. These are called chapter amendments. And early in the legislative session, lawmakers have wanted to honor those agreements by getting these um, small changes through both chambers so that they can move on to new things. So um, I remember when the IDC was um, in full force, there was divisions in the Senate. Is everything hunky-dory in the Assembly, or is there little tensions that people should know about? Well, I think in both chambers of the of the legislature, both of which, are, of course, are controlled by Democrats, there is an ongoing tension between these, um, you know, uh, suburban moderates, um, some from the outer boroughs in New York City as well, who are just, you know, relative political moderates compared to some of these um, progressive lawmakers that we've heard so much about. So, you know, a, a good... Um, issue from last year that really reflected these different the differences in that were rent regulations as well as campaign finance reform 
You know, um, one big reason why some of the old guard in the Democratic Party didn't want to have publicly financed elections was because they don't want this, uh, they don't want public financing to fund an opponent against them in a Democratic primary. So I think we've seen a little bit of that. I think overall, it's just, you know, compared to last year when so much got done in the first uh, week or two, when there was so much focus on demonstrating the unity between the two houses, the first year after all, Democratic control in Albany for some time, that there's been kind of a sense in the Capitol that this session got off to a little bit of a lackluster start. That's not to say there's any interpersonal problems with the Assembly Speaker, Carl Hasty or State Senate Majority Leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins. But, you know, limo safety, election reforms, you know, these were issues from last year. And I think a lot of lawmakers are eager for what comes next once the governor unveils his um, state budget this upcoming week. So it'll be this week coming right after Martin Luther King Day? Tuesday afternoon, the governor is going to be speaking in Albany at the Egg on Empire State Plaza, and there's going to be a lot of people uh, tuning in to hear what he's got to say, especially about the $6 billion budget deficit that he's got to deal with. Do you know what time that's going to be? 1 p.m., and it will be live cast if anybody wants to uh, tune in from afar. Okay, so um, we're waiting this coming Tuesday for the governor to speak. But there's also been financial filings um, recently. Has there been been any eyebrows raised because of that? Oh, yeah. You know, this this week was when most of the candidates, uh, whether they're primary challengers or incumbents, had to file their quarterly campaign um, fundraising numbers. And there were a couple um, surprises out there. I think the, there were three races where there were challenges to incumbent assembly members who are Democrats. And three of these candidates actually outraised the incumbent. This includes um, Grace Lee, who's a businesswoman challenging assemblywoman Yuli New in lower Manhattan. Um, while New has more cash on hand right now. Lee, who has a lot of ties to um, the financial industry and the business circles, you know, raised, I believe, some about $150,000. That's a lot of money for an assembly race. And while she only she spent a lot of it, about $84,000 still on hand, I think it quickly established her as someone who's a serious candidate for that. <coughs> Excuse me. They're also probably the most surprising, the most eyebrows on was Cameron Kaufman, who's this 22-year-old with no political experience. Um, little working experience, but he does have one important thing, and that is family relationships to some of the richest people in New York City. You know, his granduncle is Richard Lefrac, one of the biggest uh, real estate developers and a personal confidant of President Donald Trump. Now, Cameron launched his campaign about a week, about a month ago or so, and he raised nearly a half million dollars. That's what? a huge amount of money to run for the state assembly. He's facing incumbent uh, Assemblyman Dan Court, who also is known as a pretty good fundraiser, but nothing like a half million dollars. And most of this money from Kaufman came from, you know, people who whose role in a Democratic primary seems a little bit out of place in 2020. You know, in addition to, um, you know, the brother of, of Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary in the Trump administration, we've also seen um, – 
Gary Cohn, who was previously an economic advisor to President Donald Trump, and a bunch of other people from, you know, Stephen Roth, big real estate developer, lots of people who other Democratic candidates would probably uh, not want to be associated with. But Cameron's running in the Upper East Side, a place where, uh, you know, the there's a lot of high-income people, a lot more blue bloods like himself. And whenever you raise that type of money, you're clearly very competitive. And I think the, the last candidate who really surprised people was um, was uh, a candidate in Queens who's running against who's running against Michael Miller, who who's a I believe five term assemblyman, and Jennifer. Um, um, sorry, I'm trying to. Uh, um, Kujmar, she raised some over two hundred thousand. Sorry, Jennifer Raj Kumar raised more than $200,000, and that's way more than Miller has on hand. You know, Miller is kind of a member of the assembly rank and file. Leadership could come and help him out sometime in the future, but, you know, when you got, when you got a challenger who's got something like, um, you know, nearly 10 times more money than you, it's going to be really hard to get your message out in the primary. When you talk about that kind of money, Zach, that's obscene. I mean, do you really need that much money for an assembly race? Well, you know, take the case of of um, Cameron Kaufman. You know, he yes, he's got a you know family connections, but what good are they when nobody knows your name? It's it's not like he's got a well known name, say like Lefrac, which he's related to, or Trump or um, de Blasio for that matter. So what that money can buy him is a lot of name recognition. He's already gone through $100,000. And if he drops even more, just like we're we're seeing with um, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg at the national level, that once you have money, you can really saturate um, the electorate, whether it's online, whether it's with billboards or signs or phone calls or anything you want. And when you're an unknown first-time candidate, the name of the game is really just getting your name out there so people remember who you are. There is a bias towards incumbents. People like to vote for who they know. And if you can overcome that by, you know, showing that you're around, that you're somebody who's a serious candidate, that is something that money can buy you. That is totally crazy. Uh, Let's talk about a New York race that happened in 2018. Joe Crowley was, like, up there in Congress. He was well-established in the, in the, in state politics. And then a total unknown came and beat the pants off of him. What was the uh, financial situation for AOC versus Joe Crowley back, you know, in the last election? Do, do you know that? I don't know the numbers offhand, but there was no way that um, <clears throat> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was ever going to compete with Joe Crowley, uh, chair of the Queens Democratic Party at the time, a man that was widely seen as um, next in line to become speaker someday of the House of Representatives. She was never going to be able to compete with that. And I think what's what many people have found so inspiring about her story was that she was able to beat Crowley so easily in the Democratic primary in 2018, despite that disadvantage. And a lot of it just came down to hustle. You know, she she began early and she walked the district. She had an army of volunteers that was 
that was mobilizing their support, partly with the help of the local chapter of Democratic Socialists of America and other groups. And, you know, she was just a good candidate. People saw that she um, was personable, that she was young, that she, um, you know, wasn't just an old white guy like Joe Crowley, who, you know, over the years, yes, he got reelected a lot of times, but over the years, he just became kind of an anachronism. And it hardly helped that he he barely paid attention to their race. Uh, Most famously, in one of the debates, he just sent a proxy didn't even come in person. And when you're running against an incumbent and saying that they're absent, not meeting the needs of your constituents, a move like that by Crowley played right into AOC's hand. But not only was uh, Crowley kind of like he didn't do much campaigning and stuff. I mean, I actually lived in Virginia. And, you know, he was, he was still voted in time after time, but the point I'm getting at is, you know, I'm sure Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez didn't raise a heck of a lot of money, not the money that you're talking about in the other races, but still she was able to beat an entrenched incumbent, entrenched the New York State, entrenched in the country. So my point is, do you really need all that money? Well, what you need is you need a lot of people to know who you are. You need to have people believe that your incumbent is not deserving of reelection and that you might be the right choice. So, you know, it, it really, we, we saw in 2018 that a lot of candidates, a lot of these progressive challengers really made the election as much about the incumbent as much as about themselves. That was pretty easy with the IDC, the independent democratic conference uh, group of renegade Democrats that for so many mm-hmm. years sided with the Republicans to give them control of the state Senate. So it re- in some ways it didn't matter as much who they, who they were, but candidates like Zellner Myrie, Jessica Ramos, um, Alessandra Biagi, Rachel May mm-hmm. up in Syracuse, you know, these were candidates who kind of combined um, you know, the hustle. I I live in Senator Myrie's district, and I remember him in front of the subway very early in the campaign. I almost had no interest at that point in the state Senate race, but he was out there, and he kind of remained out there, and the incumbent was vulnerable. Luckily, a lot of them, you know, were able to raise enough money. I, I actually went back after these financial disclosures came out this week just to see what Ramos and Myrie and Biagi were raising, and it really wasn't, uh, you know, any different than some of these other challengers, you know, not the ones that are raising large amounts, but kind of the more typical ones that we've seen, you know, people have raised twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 sizable sums, yes, but not sending any records. And even Biagi, who took down one of the most powerful Democrats in the state Senate, mm-hmm. former state Senator Jeff Klein, uh, I believe was, you know, had something like $10,000 in the bank at this point in 2018. So, you know, yes, money helps you, but you really got to know how to market it pretty well. And, you know, 2018 show candidates that did both. You know, a few a few people, uh, candidates like um, uh, um, Gennardis out in Brooklyn, you know, won by narrow margins, as did uh, Kevin Thomas on Long Island. But, you know, you, if you win by a narrow margin, you really got to uh, attribute it to all those times that you really just went the extra mile maybe knocked on a few more doors, maybe raised a little bit more money, ran one more ad, 
um, did one more interview with the media. You know, Gennard just won by like 500 votes. So mm-hmm. when the, it's it's both simple and very complicated to determine, you know, the reasons for your victory when you win by such narrow margins. So the other aspect of uh, money that we haven't touched is Cuomo's been amassing quite a quite a lot of money for a fourth run. Tell us a little bit about his campaign more just. Well, the governor raised, gosh, what was it, uh, six, seven million. He's got, I believe, 12 or 13 million in the bank, uh, thinking offhand. And, you know, he may or may not run for reelection uh, for a fourth term as governor. But I think the point for him right now, um, just starting to approach the halfway point through his third term is that you don't want to look like a lame duck governor. You know, you don't want people to think, oh, I'm not going to deal with this governor because in two years there'll just be a different one that I can get a better deal with. So right now he's he's kind of signaling he could be in it for another uh, fourth term. You better uh, not try to challenge him because he's got a lot of money and we saw what he could do with that against Cynthia Nixon in 20, um, um, 20, 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, and four years before was Zephyr Teachout. So I think right yep. now he's still considering his political options, but he wants to remain very, very relevant in state politics, and that's exactly where he is right now. I remember saying right after he won his third term that he was going to go for a fourth term. I think I think the he wants to run for a fourth term is because he wanted to beat his father. His father didn't win a fourth term, but I think Andrew wants that. What do you think? Well, call it redemption for his father, who, of course, lost his bid for a fourth term to George Pataki in the 90s. Uh, Call it father-son competition. You know, father tried to go for four. Son could go for four and actually win. Um, But I think that there is, you know, for for a man that's very, who very much idolizes his father, very much thinks in historic terms at at times, um, is obviously paying attention to his legacy among the great governors of New York State. Um, You know, I think it it is a factor to what degree, who knows. Um, If I, you know, had insight into uh, Andrew Cuomo's head, then you know, I'd be breaking all sorts of news, but I think you're right that it is something right. that he thinks about and, you know, attributes a little bit of importance to, um, you know, politics aside. I, my, my guess is that he's going to go for a fourth turn because he's settling into the mansion and he seems quite cozy and comfortable here now that him and Sandra are not a couple anymore. So I think he he would go for it. So uh, what's what's on the horizon for this coming week? Now it's going to be a holiday Monday, so the lawmakers will not be on uh, will not be in Albany on Monday. So is next week going to be a short week, or is it going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three days. Um, you know, during the legislative session, they're typically two, three days on, on any one week, some four, maybe one or two one-day weeks. 
I think, you know, the big thing this week is going to be budget, budget, budget. The governor is going to, you know, really set the agenda for the political conversation going forward once he unveils his budget. Not only is it going to let us know his plans for closing the deficit, but it's also going to let us know his plans not just to pay for his legislative agenda, but the details of these these proposals themselves. You know, everything from legalizing recreational marijuana to stational surrogacy, to, you know, keeping um, sexual predators off the New York City subways. You know, he's, he's mentioned all this in his state of the state. When you actually see the legislative language is when we really can get down to evaluating the merits of his uh, policy agenda. So we're going to see that. There are rumors of a deal on e-bikes, a big issue here in New York City, you know, where you can't, you can't uh, you know, use electrical um, bicycles, they're kind of in a weird legal limbo. This was a, a, a issue that State Senator Ramos was pushing really hard this past year. Cuomo actually vetoed that bill. Looks like they're coming on a deal. Whether or not they vote on it sooner rather than later, who knows? But that could be pretty big news. I think within the chambers themselves, we're going to see more of these chapter amendments being acted on, some, some bills here and there. But it really is going to be all about the budget this week. So and. Uh- and our next show, next Friday afternoon, we will be talking nothing but budget. Is that a correct assumption? Well, you never want to predict too much in Albany, but whether something else big comes up in uh, the next week, I'm sure we'll be talking about the budget plenty. Okay, terrific. So um, give yourself a little plug. Well, I cover the state legislature for city and state. We're a, you know, the only magazine that covers both New York City and state politics uh, exclusively devoted to that. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach with an H reports. That's Z-A-C-H reports on Twitter and uh, subscribe to our first read newsletter. It gives you everything you need to know every day at 7 a.m. Just go to city and state NY like New York.com. Thank you, Zach. We will be talking next week. Have a great weekend. Have a good uh, Martin Luther King Day. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Enjoy your weekend.